Ready? Hello, and welcome to Rhythm and Pixels, the video game music podcast. This is Podcast World 19, Episode 9. And we are your hosts. My name is Rob Nichols. And I'm Pernell. Every week we listen to great video game music of all consoles and all generations. If it's good, we're gonna we're gonna listen to it. Today. All elements. Earth, fire, wind, water. Oh man. Even heart. Even heart. I someone has to. Heart. And I think we're the heart, because Earth, Wind and Fire is already out there. That is true. Yeah. September's a great song. I love that song. Yeah. Let's just let's just let's just listen to that right now. <laughs> <laughs> copyright, <laughs> copyright issue. <laughs> Pop up. Ah, I think it's fine. I think our listeners will appreciate it in the end. I just think it'd be funny. They're like, "What the heck's going on?" You get music. I thought you were like, "I don't know the lyrics, but I'm going to try uh, to come up with something." And I don't know the lyrics I'm coming up with either. Uh, anyway. Um, Thanks to everyone who joined us on last week's episode. It was a live streamed episode in which I just gave it a stupid name, which really didn't have much to do with the episode except for the quiz. Honestly, stupid names are what make them possibly <laughs> make them sing because alliteration is only going to take us so far. Yeah. Only so many words start with the letter P. And then the, um, uh, I want to say that if you go to our YouTube page on youtube.com slash rhythm and pixels, uh, you'll find some clips from our live streamed episodes. So any kind of interesting clips over the next few weeks, there's going to be like little five or six minute um, clips from the live episodes that were funny, that were the trivia games that we play with each other, stuff that's appropriate to release to the public. Yes. But if you were a Patreon member, you would have, you would have been there and you also get access to all of it. I mean, honestly, there's something to be said about the fact that, all things considered, we even on the Patreon live stuff that's not on the episode, we never really do anything. We're like, if we had like a 10-year-old who was a patron somehow, they're going to be like, oh, my freaking ears. Like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's, we still, it's we're generally clean cut. It's mostly clean. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. A lot, a lot, yeah a lot. I mean, there are some exceptions. Like, I mean, I go to the gym and don't shower, and then I come over, it's like, ah, yeah, there you go. Uh, otherwise, that, it's fairly clean. Well, I mean, the the, the listeners don't get that smell. That is true. But I do. That's right. That's for me. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you just like lifted your arms up. Like, oh, I did yeah. go to the gym today, too. What's going on? Here? <laughs> I did go to the gym today, too. So it's like, oof. It is killing me because. It's like, funny because sometimes you come over here and you're just like wiped out. But this time you've come over here and you're absolutely fine. I don't know how because it's I should be energy. Wiped. And you said, man, that really, that one did, really did me in. They killed me. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. It's because of the Lunchables. Uh, the power of Lunchables. Yes. Lunchables are a fantastic <laughs> vittle. I had a friend the other day trying to give me some grief about it. He's like, I'm pretty sure you could have gotten that for cheaper if you just bought the individual components. I'm like, yeah, but then it's not a Lunchable. I want the packaged fake piece of crust with the tomato sauce in the baggie <laughs> and small bits of cheese. See, I, I want the whole thing. I'm okay with all of that. I mean, I don't eat meat, but I'm okay with all of that. It, the, my problem is the packaging. Yeah, I don't like the packaging. I will give it that. Because a lot of it's not recyclable. I know. It, it, the Lunchables packaging is recyclable. It's all plastic. Okay. But you reminds me, I put it in the wrong bin out there. But I can fix that later. That's, it's my bin, so it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so um, we should start, the, um, the, start explaining the topic. So today is September 9th, 2019. Yes. Which is 20 years to the day 
since the American release of the Sega Dreamcast. Which is funny because it's fairly close to the original date, 9999. It's like 9919. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's also another nine. Yeah, it's, um, of course, it's another nine. But yeah, it's 20 years. 20 years. Yeah, it's disturbing to me, too, when I think about it. 20 years ago to this day, what are some things that have happened? My nephew was born that this morning, 20 years ago. Oh, wow. Well, that evening because he was born on the 8th, but counts close enough. I was in line getting the Dreamcast at midnight on the 8th, so it's the same difference to me. <laughs> um, well, I was also in college. Right. Freaking weird. Mm-hmm. I also didn't finish college too long ago, so wham! Eternal student. Um, but uh, <laughs> let me think. What else was it like? Life was just so different. Yeah. I want to say the Dreamcast was the second game console that I got on launch day. First being the N64. Yeah, I don't think I've ever done that. And I don't think that's a big surprise. But like... There's that one ca- yeah. one listener whose monocle just shattered. <laughs> I've just never done it. Um, and I think that totally tracks with how I uh, how I do, the ep- do, uh, do our show. But I-, I would like to say really early on is that we are doing this kind of in part with our podcast brothers, XVGM Radio. Yes. So whatever podcast device you're listening to or listening on or Spotify, all those places... Look up XVGM Radio with Mike Levy and Justin um, Timberlake. It's and, not Timberlake. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Bieber. And they have a, a great podcast. It's it's a lot a lot more professional than ours. Um, they do a lot more research on um, composers and and things. I literally eat Lunchables and then talk about stuff. Rob yeah. Rob cleans his headphones and then goes to work. Yeah, actually, I have to clean my ears. I I don't. I don't even know what's going on, <laughs> um, but no, yeah, check them out. They're they're also doing a dream, a special Dreamcast episode in their own way, in their own special way. Now, so, keep shout outs to the XVGM Radio. Check them out xvgmradio.com slash co slash uk slash forward slash question mark um, link topics <laughs> slash. The link will be on A-G-9 the episode notes. Nine <laughs> the real link will be in the notes. Don't let him fool you. It's a trap. So where was I? I was... Oh, oh worth mentioning. We got to oh, yeah. this. So just got to point this out that I think Rob and Mike had a concern that we would have overlapping tracks. I don't think that's happening. No, at the time you did. At the time I did. At the time you did. And I was, I was like, like hey, there's you... no friggin' way we're going to have overlapping tracks. Like two weeks ago. I was like, maybe we should compare notes. I'm like, no. Uh. Like, I want the surprise. So <laughs> I was like, so keeping at this moment as we're recording this, we have not heard or seen what their track list is. No. So no. we don't know. We won't know until you guys do. If there was overlapping tracks, so if there is one, yeah, I would eat. I will eat my hat. They record their episodes like well in advance, and like you know, so they can like have a life and they chill. And we're like, day of baby. That's right, party time. <laughs> party Put it time. out. Um, so, so when the Dreamcast came out, I was working at that arcade down the road, arcade slash family fun center, a Funscape, and I heard about the Sega system coming out and I didn't know much about it. All I knew that there was going to be a Sonic the Hedgehog game that was in 3D and I was not excited about that. Wait, 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 rewind. So you weren't excited about it before, keep in mind, before you knew how poorly the camera worked. I was just like... how hard it was to control. You weren't excited. No, I don't know. I was like 3D Sonic. I played Sonic 3D Blast. Did you play 3D Mario though? Yeah, I have. I think that's what really... I think that's what created my um, my image of what Sonic 3D would look like. That's why I would have been excited. No, but I didn't like 3D Mario. 
Hang on. And I still don't. You you don't like 3D Mario. I live in a 2D world, Pernell. Oh, my God. You're a 2D man. <laughs> I am. I can't. I I just I never I never enjoyed it. I didn't think it was cool. It's I'm the, I I I recognize that that people like it. That's fine. Don't get me wrong. Every <laughs> everyone likes different things, uh, but my mind is warped I thought you right this. now. No. All right. So then so then right. So um, my friend at the time, Darius. Shout outs to Darius. Who who um? He I think moved, he listens to the show actually. I, I think he does. That's awesome. He he brought his system in. I think it was the same week it, that the system came out. And we hooked it up into a big screen TV in this little theater room that we did like this weird like like motion like chair moving thing. Oh, that one like it's like you're in a helicopter or yeah, plane. yeah, and the chairs thing. move and it's supposed to be like ooh, immersive. Of it. Oh, I know those things are small anyway. But um, we hooked up the Dreamcast in there, and he was like, "You like fighting games, right?" And I was like, "Yeah, Street Fighter Three is my jam, or whatever it was Alpha." And the only game fighting game that was out at the time was King of Fighters '98, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, King of Fighters." I don't, I don't like King of Fighters. I like Street Fighter. <laughs> and then it turned me around. Like, it absolutely just brought me around. So that was what got you into SNK Fighters? And that's what got me into SNK Fighters, like, mainly. I used to play a lot of them when I was a kid because they were usually cheaper on the Neo Geo. But I got into it with that. And then um, later on, uh, the arcades closed, and that's fine. And then I moved. I didn't move. I, um, I went to work for Electronics Boutique at EB. Mm-hmm. And that's where I got my first Dreamcast. What I, games did you get with it? Oh man, what did I get with it? What did I get with it? Uh, was, Fantasy Star was not out yet. It could have been Jet Set Radio. No, Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk might have been my first game. Really? Yeah. So, because like I know when I bought it, Marvel I, Capcom. Like I remember, probably because like I, when I bought the system, I bought it on launch, and at the time anyway, they they had an unprecedented lineup. Of launch titles. Now, I'm not saying in quality because oh, good. Oh, um, but no. um, Choo 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 Rocket, Neko Waka Wai. That was my first ones. Yeah, it was a weird game. I'd never got good at. Oh, I I kicked butt at so that game. So bad at that game. I love Choo Choo Rocket. It was controlled chaos on a yeah. screen. But let's say here one real quick story. Then let's because we have so much music. I was actually considering adding more music to this episode, but there's a lot. I technically could. <laughs> yeah, but um, <laughs> all right. So do you want to get into a track and then we'll tell more tell more Dreamcast stories? Sure, why the heck not? All right, so this is nine, so this is you. Uh-oh, no! I mean, yes. I mean, nine. <laughs> so I'm going to go with an odd one to start out mm-hmm. with just because why the hell not? So I'm going to pick a track from a game that's called Puyo Puyo Da. Yes. And the track title's called Shakunetsu no Fire Dance. Composed by Katsumi Tanaka. Oh, no. 
You win. <laughs> oh, <Desu. my. laughs> so that was great. I love that song. So what you just listened to was Shakunetsu no Fire Dance from the game Puyo Puyo Da, composed by Katsumi Tanaka, a.k.a. the only good song in Puyo Puyo Da, a.k.a. a real banger, a.k.a. me in peak weeb phase. Um, <laughs> so... When around the time that the Dreamcast, and that's what meant the Dreamcast, actually, around the time this game came out, I was just getting into rhythm games. Like, I, I learned it because I knew about Busta Groove and Parappa, yeah. but you I don't count those as being mm. into rhythm games. They just, at the time, they were just, these are two games that yeah. exist. Yeah, you and I were kind of like probably doing it, like playing those games and learning those games at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then I think you introduced me to Guitar Freaks. And because I brought it, I think that's when you were still working. I brought it to your store and hooked it up on the, yeah. the machine, and people were like, customers are walking. Like, what is this weird game? Yeah, years, years before Guitar Hero and Rock Band. Yeah, that was amazing. amazing yeah. People would seriously come into the store and see us playing like Guitar Freaks, and like, this is weird. It's like, is this a Japanese game? <laughs> yes, it is. And people were floored. Yeah. But like, I was learning about the whole Bimani suite. And the fact that there were other music games aside from Busta Groove and Parappa. Heck, I, le- I was learning that Busta Groove got a sequel Yo. that at the time hadn't come to the States. My favorite I, one. Like, I was drunk on music magic. Mm-hmm. And this was a game that I learned about existing on the Dreamcast. Was this a rhythm game? Yes. Oh. So I was already a big fan of Puyo Puyo, though I only really got a chance to play Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, mm. but I knew of the original franchise and mm. wanted to play more of those. So I, say, I thought this was the Puyo Puyo that we played at your house like ages ago. Almost. Almost. So Puyo Puyo 4 was the one we played. Okay. And so I, hard. <laughs> I, I did import that game. Now, this game, this was also around the time where I learned how easy it was to burn Dreamcast games. Yeah, we should preface this by saying the American release was on September 9th, 1999. But for us, it meant a lot because we were really involved in importing games and a little shady thing on the side. Yeah, partly because, <laughs> it ain't going to lie, it was just what really easy to do back then. It was easy to you do. You just burned it and you played it. And um, it was exciting. Yeah, because yeah. at the time, like, for example, Jet Set Radio was coming out in the States, but we were able to play the Japanese version months before yeah. it came out. Mm-hmm. And we got to experience that cool, perfect grind by Poison Jam oh. because we played the burned Japanese version. Now, keep in mind, I did buy these games, but with the exception of games like this one where I was using it with the means of being to try them out, quote-unquote. So I burned Puyo Puyo Duh, and I played it, and this is the first song that plays on it. The game itself is uh, Think Bust a Groove, but instead of the four buttons and then the um, the final button that you would hit mm-hmm. in a sequence... It was Puyo Puyo, uh, Puyo shaped arrows, mm-hmm. or and then there was like a long stream of them. We're talking about like, like the twenty arrows, <laughs> so maybe like think more like Parappa the Rapper. Okay, in that see how like all those long lines of arrows could be. And did it follow the rhythm? No. Oh, that's just, the amazing part. It was just input it before the. Yeah, it was just when the arrows there hit it, and there's a line going by. But if you tried to actually parse out some sort of rhythm there, you never there wasn't it. any, <laughs> and that's what one of the main flaws of this game was. Mm. In addition to that. This is the first track that plays in the game. Sets you up for thinking that you're looking forward to a fantastic OST. Get ready to have a great time. And then to me, personally, every song after this was meh. I didn't uh, like a single other track on the OST but this one. And maybe I sing. I don't well, know. the time of our lives that 
you were describing this, this makes a lot of sense. That yes. This would be like, oh, right. This is, like a, this is like an anime opening. Yes, I was <laughs> I was on my total weed grind at this point. I'll, I was like, yes. I'll probably find um, I'll probably find a link to this and put it on on the website. But there's on on YouTube, there's only the Japanese version of this song. But on uh, Nico Video, the Japanese YouTube, um, there is the American version, the English version of the song, the English version of the song. Because it's it's. Uh, it's out there. And it's interesting. I wonder if this spawned from this, which is that, and I didn't know this until I picked the track for this episode, mm-hmm. even though I've known this song's existence for 20 years, mm-hmm. which is that this song was originally used in the Puyo Puyo 2 commercial. Oh, yeah, maybe, because it was like, it, it was, I couldn't read it, I didn't translate it, but it said that it was like part of some like greatest hits compilation from I think whatever group did this mm-hmm. so maybe they had some um, some uh, some success in Japan and so they released like an English version of it for the European markets yeah. that's kind of cool and it's like I, I just I think this track is very catchy it has a nice step to it so for anyone who's listening to this show and they're thinking oh my god he just said weeb what a jerk face no I don't disparage it I no, just no. acknowledge that Weeb is a person who really gets into this stuff as I was. Yeah. And to this day, I still like a ton of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually had a moment where I found one of my old hard drives, and I had a bunch of the old uh, Japanese music I used to listen to, like Hysteric Blue and Strawberry Cheesecake and like, like just weird. The Aprils. Yeah. By the way, Strawberry Cheesecake is not a real band. Don't look it up. But Strawberry Machine Gun is. Uh, you know, I found Strawberry Cheesecake is delicious dessert. Sonic Coaster Pop. Sonic Coaster Pop. Uh, just, there were just a lot. The April's I already named. Uh, Capsule. I listened to a lot uh, of. Well, crazy. Cap- okay, first of all, Capsule is awesome. All Caps- right. yeah, yes, Capsule. Yes, you know about Capsule. Oh yeah, and perfume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, you have Pink Lady. Like I listened to a lot of Japanese songs. I played a lot of Japanese games. Mm-hmm. I was knee deep in the muck, as it were. Okay, so this is. And a- I listened to it. and I still like it. This is a good segue because this is the most Japanese game that I could find that I didn't, I never knew about, but I'm not surprised existed on the Sega Dreamcast. This is called Room Mania. So um, this, this, tri- but the music in this game is super cool. It's very Japanese, but it's also very chill. So this is called My Mashu from, <laughs> from the game Room Mania.
That was My Mashu from the game Room Mania for the Sega Dreamcast, composed by Tomoko Sasaki and Keiichi Sugiyama. And I, you, you gotta admit, that is, some, that is some smoothness, right? Oh, the track itself was great. Yeah. I, but I admittedly was also chuckling at the fact that we never picked vocal tracks, and yet for this specific episode, know, we, we both wanna, picked a vocal track. We went all in. First. I, was, I was like, oh, man, I want to open with this track, or at least have this my first song, you know, because it just sets the mood, you know? It's I, a good one. It's a really good one. So um, so this came out in the year uh, 2000 originally, and then it was also released in the PlayStation 2 in 2002. Um, it follows the life of Neji Taihei, a student living out a mediocre existence in Japan. It's described as an intervention simulator where the player takes uh, the role of God whose task is to make his life more meaningful. So, like, as the characters, like, you know, in the room, the goal of that scene might be to get the to get the character to open his computer and write in his journal. And so you're trying to direct him to do that by, like, you, you click on him and it shoots, like, essentially ping pong balls at him. It's very, <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. I just picture this guy, like, sitting on the couch, just, like, throw it. So what, Stop what, it. What's Stop interesting it. is that um, the music in this game is actually credited as a fictional pop idol whose name is Sarani Poji, which was created by Tomoko Sasaki. Tomoko Sasaki also wrote my favorite soundtrack. Rystar son. Oh mercy! I would have t- honestly, I would have totally guessed that though. Not yeah. that he composed it, but that's your favorite soundtrack is Rystar. Well, yeah, I think I, I'm pretty sure it is. So uh, the 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 Rystar- we should have a Rystar race. A Rystar race? Oh, I would love that. Be, I don't know how it's, it's been a long time since I played it, but yeah. So, yeah, so so one thing I didn't realize was not only did she compose the music to this game, she actually wrote the game itself. In like uh, the scenario, or <laughs> like 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 yeah, like the scenario, the scripts, like how the game plays out. And it's because of what she says, her obsession with internet webcams of the early 2000s. I'm having trouble even picturing webcams back then. It was like, um, wasn't there someone like on early, early YouTube or prior to YouTube just was like, she had a camera in her house like 24-7 and it was like groundbreaking. And it was just like, watch me eat breakfast. I'm going to bed now. You know. <laughs> I know. I've, I feel like I recall hearing of someone like that existing, mm-hmm. but I feel like it was later than that. Because again, I'm just, I think my brain... Is having trouble just picturing someone with a camera running at all times in their home during an age where 56Ks were still common. Um, like when I went to college and we had Ethernet at college, it floored me that that even existed. Oh, I know. Yeah. And then I went back home to my terrible Comcast connection and now we went to them. <laughs> I know. Now you complain about like her cell signal strength and I'm like, oh, wow. Things used to be so different. Yes, they were. So, so another big thing about the Sega Dreamcast was this was the first system to be released with a modem built into the system. Yeah, and it had a, actually, I want to say it was also the first game console to be inter- have an actual like OS running on it. Yes, um, uh, Microsoft developed a pared down Windows, uh, a pared down version of Windows that ran on the system. Now, from what I've read, most games didn't actually. It was designed that way so that people could write games for Windows mm-hmm. and then just release it on the Dreamcast. Um, but from what I've read, a lot of comp- like almost none did that. I just had to name a surprise. It's just like when Nintendo's like, hey, we have this second screen option on our Wii U. Yeah. We don't know what to do with this. Just make another normal game. Whatever. Yeah, make it an inventory screen or, or, or like maybe the, um, the, they could access more um, more functions and powers of the processors and stuff by writing their own code rather than writing on Windows, which then access the code. Um, I don't know, that, was a, that was very, very interesting to me. I remember way back when, towards the end of the Dreamcast lifespan, I went to my friend Chris's house, and he was like, hey, check this out. And he had Linux just running on his Dreamcast. And I was like, cool. 
Now what? <laughs> Nothing. I just wanted to show you Linux on the Dreamcast. He's like, well, we're nerds, and this is what we do. We put Linux on something. And here you are. What would you say was your favorite? Actually, I think you mentioned, but I'll say that in a second. What was your favorite Dreamcast? Can uh, you think of one? Um, or two? I could think about. I said, uh, I played so many shooters on the, on the Dreamcast. So it's probably one of the Gigawing games. Maybe Mars Matrix. I could think played that. a ton of that. I, sp- I put... None of it compares to the amount of hours I put into Skies of Arcadia and Fantasy Star Online. Yeah, that game was cracking. It lost many people. I know their jobs. Oh, I know. <laughs> and then, um, but then also the fighting games too. It really like got me hooked on the fighting games more than I was like I, I, than I ever thought I would be, and competitively. It makes me think too. Like Fantasy Star Online, mm-hmm. as a just to make sure none of us picked the track from that, right? To make sure we're not like, talking about it too soon. Um, no, no. But let's talk about it on to the next track. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Yeah. In that case, then, my next track is from a game that is also not exactly uncommon or unexpected. This is from the game Virtua on Oratorio Tangram, and the track title is called Into the Crimson. And the composer for that was Kentaro Kobayashi. listening to Into the Crimson from the game Virtual On Oratorio Tangram Tangram composed 
by not a sleepy person, but actually a cool person. <laughs> Goes by the name of Kintaro Kobayashi. So, just full disclosure, I suck at this game. <laughs> but I love this game. I loved what it represented. And I genuinely, wholeheartedly wish that the Steel Battalion controller existed mm-hmm. back when this system had come out. No. And I could have utilized it for this game. Now, I've never played the home version of this game. I've only ever played the arcade version. That's the one that matters. Which was, like, the best. It felt like... So this game, you played with two joysticks, and the, and the way you hit the buttons and, and move the sticks would do the different moves in the robot. It was and, also twin stick movement. So, like, yeah. if you were saying, for example, you wanted to rush an opponent, you have to take both sticks and thrust them forward. forward. And you're like, Grrr! like, like you, it. you would sit down in like this little cockpit, and the way the whole thing like surrounded you, it just it felt awesome. It felt like you were in a giant robot. It was a, it was it amazing. Was perfect, yeah, I, I got to play it like once, one mm. time, and it was at a GameWorks in Seattle. Oh wow! And this was like in 2008 or nine. So in fact, keep that in mind, considering the fact of how old Virtual On and Virtual On Oratorio mm-hmm, were. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's just such a fun game. The home version played gloriously, but unfortunately, it was also on a controller that had one thumbstick on it. So you can imagine it didn't have the same flair to right, it. Right, right, right. But I mean, still, but the game is still the same. It just didn't have the same control. Exactly. Yeah. It still was a blast to play. Still very enjoyable. Um, like I said, it's basically a 1v1 mech fighter where you would get placed into a giant arena, mm-hmm. rectangular typically, with some obstacles in the middle. And you could dash, jump, shoot, and slash, with the goal being to decimate your opponent. And all the mechs had names that I suck at pronouncing. <laughs> yes, right. But I know that the I two forgot. that I liked the most were Tim Jin, who was pretty much like the cover guy for like the original one, and also Fei Yin. Who was, of course, the girl mech? Yeah, <laughs> which is typical for Purnell here. You know, well, in a game like this, having a really fast robot is helpful. But you like to play the glass cannon. That's right. Yeah, which fast but deadly. But also fast and deadly, but also will lose very quickly. And not take a hit. <laughs> so, okay, this game, I, I've only ever played Virtual On in the arcade. What is the difference between Oratorio Tangram? Which, as I was typing it, I thought I was typing in Ontario. <laughs> Canadian Tangrams. Yeah, the Canadian province Ontario. So that what, could be a pretty so is it, Was this a sequel or like an offshoot? It was a sequel. So okay. they added more characters. Graphics got improved. Nice. I don't recall if there were any actual like system improvements as far as like giving the mechs new abilities mm-hmm. or anything. But it was just fun. So, I loved this game. So that brings us around to the system, the system hardware of the Sega Dreamcast. I don't, I can't say ho- so much Naomi? about specifics. Yeah. So in the arcade, um, the Sega was releasing arcade games under their own hardware called uh, Project Naomi, okay. the Project Naomi board. And the Sega Dreamcast, the home system, was essentially based off of that hardware. So it was, it was really like bringing home arcade games. It felt great. It was amazing. Um, Power Stone was like that. I think what blew me away was when I first saw Soul Calibur. Because Soul Calibur, it looked way better on the Dreamcast than it ever did in the arcade. I was just completely amazed what by What did you say? That was possibly the big, like, the real death knell for arcade games? And it could have been. They were all coming home at this Yeah, point. they were all coming home. And you had online play on a lot of them. Like I had, I had Quake Arena, Quake Online Arena on the Dreamcast, like playing against people online. A, a, a first-person shooter... Like in two thousand, like one or two thousand. Honestly, you know? playing the Dreamcast online was an epiphany for me. <laughs> like, I think I told the story about how I met that person from Arizona and how disturbing that turned out to be. But it was just a 
fun thing to be able to just get online with a console, not at a PC, yeah. and just put on a headset and talk to strangers and battle aliens on a distant planet, the same four planets over and over <laughs> and over again, mind you, but still. So other than Fantasy Star, what other games did you play online? Primarily that one, Choo Choo Rocket. Mm. I played a lot of yes, Choo Choo Rocket. Yes, I played a lot of Bomberman online. Yes, I the did play Bomberman competition online. competition was fierce. Oh, so fierce online. It's kind of funny you mentioned that because that might come up later. Oh, good. <laughs> but um, um, real quick, I wanted to, I wanted to mention something. I almost I totally forgot the last track I picked. So I'm curious if anybody else notices. If you have a second to listen and you go back to the track I picked earlier in the episode, Poyo Poyo Duh, there's a segment during the song that I think is pretty much the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. And I swear it sounded familiar. It's not a stealer, no. He ripped it off, but... It sounded very similar to the song Twilight Zone by 2 Unlimited. Oh, oh, you're right. And I heard I was like, oh, that's it. That's the hook. Yes. The hook. It sounded so much like the hook. It floored me. I had to go look it up. I'm like, is that the song? And sure enough. If it's not too late, you might do a little quick edit (laughs) before you go home. All right. So my next track, I'm going to go with um, another shooter. This is from the game Under Defeat. This had um, a European release and a, uh, um, a Japan release. A prequel to Underbirth. It, uh, it's it's like it's a three three D perspective sort of, but from the top down, it's kind of almost isometric. But you play as like a, like, a, like a huge helicopter just blowing up baddies. Okay, not a sequ- not a prequel to Underbirth. Not no. Um, and this one was composed by uh, Shinji Hasoe, so you know this is going to be good. Mm-hmm. This track is from Stage 5, Tears Which Died. I, I love the over-dramatic names. That's an interesting name for a <laughs> game where you're piloting. <laughs> yeah, I know. Very, very dramatic. All right. Under Defeat, Stage 5, Shinji Hasoe for the Sega Dreamcast.
You're listening to Tears Which Died, Stage 5 from the game Under Defeat for the Sega Dreamcast, composed by Shinji Hisoe featuring Osaki Masayuki on guitar. What is a dead tear? D- uh, t- tears which die, so like the tears are gone. Like the tears have fallen, they're, they're gone, they've died, they're away. So an evaporated so tear is a dead tear. Uh, yes. Okay. Don't that's, that's don't don't cry for those tears though. That's very metal. <laughs> it is metal, right? It's very like dark black My metal. My tears are dead. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a cool looking game. I mean, it, it looks like a like a like a ver- it, it plays vertical, like kind of like at that narrow window box. Mm-hmm. But your the helicopter you play as is really big, and it and looks like you, yeah, and it looks like you can move it like you can like angle it left or right at certain enemies. But I don't know why you would angle it like that. What well, might be. I might just be to add an extra layer of like complexity to it mm-hmm. because you'll be maneuvering the ship and then also tilting the ship yeah. and firing shots. But like, I can say that I but first of all, did this come out in the states? Do you know? No. Okay, that explains no, partly uh, why I didn't know about it. None of my, no, and the rest of my tracks did not come out in the states. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, um, actually, can do you mind if I just like re-listen to that opening one more time because the opening is totally different. Oh sure. Cool. I just, it's so different. Like, yeah, I'm imagining like a weird cutscene at the beginning. It could be like, maybe that's where the tears that died came from. Brother, don't leave me. Don't get in your helicopter. Oh, no, no. It would be something more like someone, like the pilot's mentor's helicopter blowing up in the previous sequence. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dealing with the aftermath is like, well, it's up to me now. Yeah, but then right here. Time to go. Yes. It launches off to save the day and and his mentor's dead. Goosebumps. This part right here. Mm-hmm. That that synthesizers like, like can't you perceive oh. that like he just the helicopter launches outward to avenge his fallen yes friend or leader or mentor and now all of a sudden like things are just coming at you right now you're shooting him you're blasting the clouds and then out of nowhere <laughs> open sky well I timed that very well yeah I was, <laughs> he, uh, I was assuming you were <laughs> I was so totally off the kilter. But um, oh, but yeah, it's like, so good. Oh, the, the in the in the bass, like the bass leading up to that section before the before the guitar comes in, it's just so jazzy. It's it's really Shinji Hosoe like all the way. All this music is just so complex. I could seriously see myself mm. playing this, listen to this more later. Let, not even not just this track, but I mean the entire OC to see if it measures up to this track. It's good. Favorite shooter on the Dreamcast. Yeah, do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite shooter on the Dreamcast? Do I or do I, you? I'm not even sure because I didn't get in the shooters until I met you. Oh, interesting. At least on the Dreamcast. Yeah, wow. like uh, When I bought the Dreamcast, for example, launch day, mm-hmm. remember I mentioned earlier, at the time it had the largest launch library that any console had ever had. That was a key element to the game system's launch. But I was also a broke college student. And I chose to buy Sonic Adventure, of course, and Power Stone. And then later on, I'm, I can't remember what the third game was I bought, but definitely those two were the first ones, and I had those for a long time. Um, but down the line, I started getting into the more of the weirder stuff. You know what? I do have a favorite shooter. Oh, good. And it's not a shmup. It's, it's a twi- Bangayo. Oh, bang! No, that's, that's technically... It's a side-scrolling yeah, shmup, I, was I like, guess. I thought you were going to say Twinkle Star Sprites. That would be second, because that's not measuring up to Bangayo. Bangayo yeah. was just ridiculous. You, you introduced me to Bangayo. Well, yes. We played. We played a lot of Bangayo on the show. I don't think either of us picked Bangayo. Nah, no. I, I was tr- my, funny thing. I intentionally tried to pick tracks that I feel as though I would have probably passed over in the past, not because they were bad, but because I just wouldn't think about them. Whereas if it's an episode focused on Dreamcast, like okay, now I can dive deep, which is why I remembered Poyo Poyo Da because I didn't even like the game, but I had the game, 
and I remembered liking that one track. So I was like, it was it was incentive to look into other stuff beyond my core. So Bangayo, of course, is my one of my core games. I could play that entire OST on the show and not bat an eye. Oh, it's so good. Like mm-hmm. I remember not even thinking about the music when I first played it, and then like when we started doing the show together, like I think our second or third episode was was all about Dreamcast shooters, mm-hmm. and we you played some Bangayo, and I was like, what? Yes, and like uh, one thing, like Dassey had that. I had a hard mm-hmm. modded Dreamcast back then too. It wasn't a, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, the Utopia disc. It was a literal hard mod system now, that you're saying eventually the, had a bad battery <laughs> in the Utopia disc. Yeah, like, yeah. But once, unfortunately, the power supplies were bad in a lot of the old Dreamcast, so mine died, which means I lost my modded yeah. system because I didn't think to just get it repaired. Yeah, that's I replaced an, it. That's another um, legacy of the Dreamcast was uh, also the, the, the disk drives. The motors would eventually go bad. Mm-hmm. They would go bad to normal use, but then you know, having um, a disk to load the next game and then put an import in or, put a, um, or, or to put a burned game into the unit would spin the disc, would spin the, the the motor up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, and eventually would just burn out even faster. Yeah. Um, so which yeah. makes me worried that one day I want to try to use my Dreamcast all retro like, and it just won't turn I know. on. So yeah, it's it's like we I, I do worry about how um, digital media is is out of our hands now and can't be archived. But even then, like we might have the discs of some of those Dreamcast games, but we need to have emulators to play this on because the original hardware is eventually going bad. Well, on the positive, mm-hmm. at least from what I've gathered, there's a lot of people out in the modding community that are familiar at least with things like this drug, not this drug, like lasers. They can replace the lasers. Ah, so that cool, part cool. isn't too scary, though you got to find the guy that can do it. It's that, not just like going into a Sears and like, hey, could you fix my Dreamcast? Now, do you think we'll ever get a Dreamcast Mini? Honestly. That would be kind of cool, right? Only for emulation, because I'm going to tell mm-hmm. you, I'm one of those guys. Call me a... Call me an ungrateful swine if you want, but I feel like I never feel truly satisfied with these library launches of these minis. Not because they make poor choices, but because there's just too much. Yeah, but do you think they'll do one? They should. I, I don't know if they will, but they should. I think there's a market for it, for sure. Oh, there's yeah. a market. They could do a mini yeah. PS2. They could do a mini anything. They could do a mini Game Boy. So what I, loved, what I loved about the Sega Dreamcast was like they just took a chance on all sorts of wacky games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then try isolate. I know, just just games that like, and, and they and they brought a lot of them to the states, stateside, like that that they would never have taken a chance on. Maybe maybe um, some of the PS One games went a little crazy, but like it's really cool to see, um, you know, Japanese forward games, you know, come to the come to the West. And honestly, it's interesting because that's not as much of a concern anymore. Because oh, no, thankfully, no. with the indie market bursting like it has, mm-hmm. there's tons of who the heck designed this game? <laughs> games on the market, but back then, Sega was like your crazy Uncle Saul, who would just show up at the house with like stuff he got from his trip to Tibet, and you're wondering what the heck is this doing here? Who made this stuff? Yeah. He's like, just just eat the cricket wrapped in cement. Yeah. It tastes great. I would, I would see my friend at like the at the mall and be, they'd be like, hey, I got this new game I found. Like they got it on whatever Usenet group, like shady part of the internet. You know, nineteen two. 2000. Like, like cool, cool tune, which right, was a cool. game that was probably like a Roger Rabbit esque game yes, I from om- like SNK. Yeah, I almost picked a track from Cool, Cool Tune because I was just I've never heard of it before. It's just bizarre. Yep. Um, all right. So what's your next one? So my last track is I think I, I was torn between the two, but I think the next one could just be like the conclusion for the episode or something because gotta pick it, not right now. <laughs> um, but this is from another game I like and one that Rob mentioned earlier in the episode. That game being called Bomberman Online. So good. 
Now, I don't know. This game did not have official track names, to my understanding. No, no. We know the composer. Yes, we do have the composer. Mm-hmm. But all I can tell you is that this is one of my favorite battle themes from the game. Mm-hmm. And the composer is Hironao Yamamoto and Shohei Bando. Welcome back. You're listening to an awesome battle theme from the game Bomberman Online on the Sega Dreamcast, composed by Hiro Nao Yamamoto and Shohei Bando. So, I is not a secret that I am a Bomberman wackadoo, like both in spirit of loving the game and just being ridiculously good at the games. I had to have Bomberman Online when they announced mm-hmm. it. The ability to play against people on the internet yes. that wasn't on my PC. <laughs> was a must, and this was the one that introduced like the opposite, the different modes of Bomberman. Like this one had paint mode on. Yeah, it. like it was billed as Bomberman Online, but th- th- to me, this is like one of the best single-player Bomberman games ever released because they had so many different ways to play, mm-hmm. and it looked so good. It was um, still Bomberman, but it was 3D, one of the first 3D ones, and it was cell shaded. Now we also got a state. It was 3D, but not in the form of, say, Bomberman 64. It was no. just 3D like models, 3D but it was models, still 2D gameplay. But they were cell-shaded models, so they mm-hmm. were super cute. You could, mo- you could customize how your little guy looked. Mm-hmm. You gave him like hats and stuff. And the opening, there's, there was an opening cinematic video where he was a little Bomberman guy dressed up as Goku, and he like throws his fist up in the air, and like this. I just remember, I'm remembering all this. Like water shoots up. It was like super epic. It was crazy. It's like I, I, loved, I loved Bomberman. He was so cute. And I was, again, like Choo Choo Rocket. I was terrible at this game. Between the opening of this and the intro to Saturn and Bomberman, mm-hmm. it really made me want a Bomberman cartoon. And oh, it that may have been wanted, so cool, it, right? Honestly, it might have existed in Japan for all we know, but I know the States never got one, which is sad because, a uh, correction, I think Japan later got one called Bomberman Jetters, which was the game, which was based on the video game that came out with that name. Mm. But. Someone can someone can mention it later on. I'm sure that hears this. And I'm like, oh yeah, it was. But paint paint mode was so good. Where they get like little paint bombs. Yeah, when you when the, the the flame of the explosion just changed the color of the tiles. Yeah. And while I don't think I don't think you could die in that mode. No, it, it was, was just you would just. I think you would either get kicked out temporarily, 
or you could just run and drop bombs. But I want to say it was more of the former. You would get kicked out temporarily and get put back I in. There was one that was like a it was like a, a water mode where you were like on opposite ends of almost like a volleyball court, and you would place a bomb on your end, and it would go under water. Yeah, they would the go to the other side. side, and so you had to keep track of what your opponent was doing because then it would show up on your end. It was so clever. This game was super clever. And, it, and honestly, that's a mode that never appeared again. Mm. No, no. And, I, and it's amazing that you remember that because, like, <laughs> once you started saying that, it clicked, but at first I didn't remember. But the moment you started talking about it, yeah. it immediately came to me. I was like, oh, yeah, the bombs would dive underwater. I'm it was like tennis. You, this time, when this game came out, like, when the Dreamcast was, like, in its, like, prime, was when I had nothing but time. <laughs> yeah, and like, all I wanted to do was play video games. Yes. I worked... A little bit more than part-time, and I did not sleep. I just played games. That was where my ability to play came in. It was more the lack of sleep because I, I worked at the time. I was working two part-time jobs mm-hmm. and going to school part-time. Wow. And I wasn't dropping them games. I had to fund my game habit somehow. And that's what the two part-time jobs Like I was paying bills at home, mm-hmm. and I was doing some of my tuition payments. But for the most part, it was, look, I'm an adult. I like playing video games. Yeah. If it's coming out, I'm buying it. Which is why, like, a lot of people are always like, Pernell, how did you, why do you have all these games? Are you some kind of collector? It's like, no, I'm a guy who just never sells what he got. And yeah. I bought a lot Exactly, like, because a lot of us, you know, we, I would probably still have a much, much bigger collection. But no, I I, sell, I sold and I traded. And, mm-hmm. of course, now I'm, I'm very, like, minimalistic. I don't like to hang on to things. But, yeah, so honestly, in its yeah. own right, you're better off there. Because I think about that sometimes myself. Like, will I ever, ever eventually sell my games if I don't have to? I, know, I, I love looking at your wall of games and being like, oh, I remember that. Oh, that looked cool. And admittedly, that's kind of why I have it. Because yeah. I've had people say, you'll never play all those games again. Why do you have them? But in my opinion, it's not about... Knowing I'm going to go back mm-hmm. and play Crimson C2 on the PlayStation 2. Right. It's it's like you loved that game or whatever, and so you it's like uh, someone who has like a collection of books. Yeah. Are they really going to go back and reread all of those books? But no, they loved that book. They read that book. They want to display it. And they can also mm-hmm. go to the shelf, say, they'll go they'll leaf through the books, and they'll mm-hmm. pull one off. It's like, oh, I remember yes. this book. And yes, yes, might, yes, they yes. might just have some fleeting memories of it, but it's enough just to give you that sense of joy. Yeah, you can flip through the pages and, and you can look at the disc and oh, I remember when I scratched that. Darn it, and then put like, it back. <laughs> like heck, what was it? Uh, two, one or two days ago, there was a Nintendo Direct that we had, and they announced uh, Shin Megami Tensei Tokyo Mirage Sessions getting ported to the Switch. Very cool. Now, what that triggered in me was a question of: Are there any high-value Wii U games left that they haven't ported to the Switch? It's like they're moving the entire library. So what did I do? Went upstairs. And just took a look. And I just looked at my shelf and leaped. It was like, I remember that game. This was an awesome game. This game, I'm going to play it right now just to get a little bit of a kick in the pants from memory of it, remembrance of it. You know, and it just felt good to be able to do that. And I'm thankful that my discs haven't, like, rotted or eroded yet because I'll, there's always that fear. Yeah, but you've t- you have, you know, I don't think you've been attempting to you put you have put extra work into taking care of them, but you have to have been taking care of them. Exactly, so I, that, I haven't outright abused my stuff. Exactly, so like the discs haven't corroded and, and any of that, which is in your a lot of your systems are still super functional. So mm-hmm. kept them out of sunlight, mm-hmm. kept them out of moisture. Yep, you know stuff like that. It's like, things you would do for your books. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so my last track is from. I was going to pick one. I'm going to say I'm not going to play it on this episode, but I didn't realize uh, the the game that I picked 
was a um, an indie game that was released in 2009, much much later on after the Dreamcast had had gone. Which also that's before you go on your trip, that's something worth mentioning just by yeah. virtue of that statement. The homebrew the homebrew scene for the Sega Dreamcast was real. Like how many yeah. consoles can you think of? Not computer. I'm talking home consoles mm-hmm. where it had a budging a, a, a burgeoning homebrew group. Yeah, well beyond the system's life. I think the NES is the only, the only competitor. One, but, that, but it's taken a while for us to get there. I feel like, but the Dreamcast, it was like almost immediately. People were still there was like doing a, things with it. Yeah, there was like a genuine love, mm-hmm. and when the system was discontinued, people were like legitimately upset. Mm-hmm. Which floored me because if you recall, one of the main reasons why the Dreamcast didn't do well is because people were legitimately waiting for PS2 to come out. Yep, people wanted. Um, to buy themselves a DVD player, and I actually ended up looking up some numbers on it. Just general thought. Oh, actually, I have some. I have some facts too. So let's listen to some music, and then we'll go through our uh, our numbers. All right, and we'll compare our notes. I only <laughs> have one note. So oh, okay, well, I have some notes too. So anyway, here we go. This is um, from the game Border Down. This is called Purple Town for the Sega Dreamcast. Listening to Purple Town Stage One from the game Border Down for the Sega Dreamcast, composed by Yasuhisa Watanabe, also known as Yak. And the soundtrack was actually released by the group Super Sweep. Supermarket Sweep! Uh, well, Super Sweep is um, the sound design company of Shinji Hisoe. 
Oh, that's a nice connector. Yeah, a little connector there. So um, Border Down is a super cool side-scrolling um, shoot-em-up we played on the show before. It's It's got one of the best, like, jazzy, kind of proggy um, soundtracks for these types of games. I like this. Really, really cool. Well, this track has a nice, relaxing vibe. Yeah. Good follow-up to that not-so-relaxing <laughs> track, I think. I know. All right, so you said you had some numbers about the Dreamcast. Yeah, only one set, really. It was like a follow-up to the thought I had where... You know, again, the Dreamcast, you think about it, it's very popular. It was popular emotionally back then. And it's popular emotion-wise now. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most fondly remembered consoles that I can personally think of. Like, what other console can you think of where people celebrate the day it got released? Yeah, a lot of people have, like, really strong nostalgia for, like, I would say the, the N64, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nintendo 64! Oh, yeah. But, like, when people, like, when, when people who play games talk about the Dreamcast, like, usually people start to, like, kind of slow down. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, the Dreamcast. It's like a fine I, remembrance. I remember. Yeah, it was great. So, like, it's mm-hmm. weird. Like, I, thought, I decided I wanted to check to see, like, okay, where are the numbers for the system considering the fact that, you know, again, a lot of people just waited on the PS2 and just ignored it, whatever. So, just some quick numbers I got there. Apparently, in 2000, by the end of 2007, the Dreamcast had sold 10.6 million systems. And in the Americas, oh, rather, United States, of that 10.6, it sold 5 million 400, sorry, 5, yeah, 5 million 433,501. So of the 10.6 total sold, half, almost half of that was in the States? Yes. It's amazing. Which, keep in mind, back then we were still on the impression that Japan was like the king of like <laughs> game consumers, but we had almost half of it, not more. Huh. Now, the PS2. I bumped the numbers up one year because the PS2 came out in 2000, whereas Dreamcast came out in 99. PS2 had sold 43.22 million by December 2008. Unbelievable. It's mind-blowing. Now, the system came out in March of 2000 in Japan and October of 2000 in the States. Yeah, that was, that was like real sad. People trading in their Dreamcasts where I worked. Because they wanted a PS2, a PS2, which was again like mm-hmm. I, my brain couldn't even process that. I'm like, why don't you just save up money and have both systems? <laughs> why not both? But like, yeah, it, it's tight though. Yeah, money's tight. Yeah, but I've always been on the impression like I agree, money's tight. But then you buy a console that costs three hundred bucks. I've been drinking. Now, was it two or three hundred when it came out? I think it was three hundred. Don't quote me on that. But I think it was three hundred dollars. I think so too. Now. You know the system's coming out a year before the PS2, more or less. <laughs> and you're putting down 300 bucks plus cost of games. And controllers. And, and controllers. Cards. If your excuse for selling all that a year later towards a $300 console flat is, it's I don't have the money. I'm like, you just wasted a ton of it. Because you had a year out of this and you're getting maybe 40% value back on all your stuff. Yeah, if you're lucky. If you're lucky. Because Game Funko was gone by then. <laughs> so it's like... It, oh, yeah, I know I know that we were not... Well, I was not. Or the company I worked for was not giving away, you know, the system, like, hand, like system for system. It was it was rough. But, like, around that time, you know, it was, like, um, holiday season. So people were coming in, you know, like, oh, we're not playing this thing anymore. So let's get the new thing. And I'm like, oh, are you sure? Are you sure? Because more you games sure? are coming. This, this thing was built to last more than a year. Got, it's got a modem built into it. Um, so what I found, um, the original code name for the system was just called Katana. Hmm. So I don't know if it was it was going to be called the Sega Katana, 
I think the Dreamcast is like one of the coolest names. It really is. Yeah. Um, so they announced the discontinuation of the Dreamcast in 2001, but they sold it in Japan until 2007. Really? Yeah, so only two years. That's in, really sad. Only two years in America, 99 to 2001. Uh, the two most expensive games to produce on the Dreamcast were, uh, I'm sure you know, Shenmue mm-hmm. for $47 million. The second one's going to be the confusing one because I know about Shenmue, though. Shenmue 2 was $70 million. Oh, it was both of them. There is. <laughs> Yeah, um, so yeah, those two games. Well, and you got to admit, they got their money's worth because even though Shinwei didn't sell all that much, that's what eventually became Yakuza, and you know how well that game series yeah, sells. That's right. And then this is what I found really interesting was that um, Sega and Microsoft were really closely tied together because of the Windows operating system on the Dreamcast. Mm-hmm. So, a re- that, and that's why this is, and this is why the Xbox was so closely felt so much like a Dreamcast, the original Xbox. So that was an actual relationship. There. It was a relationship because originally the Sega president um, at the time, Isao Okawa, he wanted to get the Dreamcast games just to be compatible on the Xbox system. So they had designed the Xbox system originally to be backwards compa- backwards compatible to the Sega Dreamcast games. That would have been really Isn't cool if they stuck with yeah. that. And it also helps to explain why back when the Dream when the Xbox first came out, even though a lot of Japanese developers were kind of shunning them, Sega was on board from the start. Yes. And we were they were getting exclusive great games like Gun Valkyrie and Jet Set Future, mm-hmm. Sega Rally. They had a number of solid games from that company. And Honestly, the Sega stuff is what got me to eventually buy an Xbox in the first place. Yeah. So mission accomplished. So it's very cool to see, like in that the early two thousands era, um, you know, the, the Japanese game developer and and then the American Microsoft uh, um, starts, the American Microsoft. Well, the, the Americans with Microsoft starting to get into, um, you know, aside from Atari, starting uh-huh. to get into you know home consoles at that time, which is now huge. Yeah, I, I still yeah. remember back when Xbox got announced. Mm-hmm. And I admit, I was one of those people. But I was like, what are they going to do? There ain't no room for them. We got Nintendo and Sega and Sony, and then Sega died. And then Halo happened. Yeah, and then Halo just shot them off, the, shot them yeah, into the stratosphere. That's all they needed. All right, so I'm going to turn the track down, and we're going to get into the part of the show we call the bonus round. It's the bonus round. <laughs> <laughs> can't you do this the sound effect i shouldn't even just do the sound i should just insert the sound effect um anyway the bonus rounds the part of the show where we play covers and remixes and arrangements on our theme um or we just play more dreamcast music Prinell, what do you got i actually do have a remix for cover which i am glad i was able to find oh, because awesome. i wanted to get this tr- I always look for an excuse to get this track on the show, and if I can put it on here five more times, I'll do it. Well, also to preface that, yeah, there's there are just like how with the Sega, uh, the Sega Saturn, and the Sega Genesis, like they kept up on their whole like licensing official like club remix albums of of their games because mm-hmm. there's a lot of like we 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 just discovered a virtual on club tracks remix album. There's tons of awesome stuff out there. They went to work, and that was also back mm-hmm. when like. You know, downloadable music wasn't like well, it was LimeWire and all that. But yeah, yeah, but it was, it was still you could still there was still a meaty market for buying CDs. So you could go to like a Japanese music store and just see waves of like mm-hmm. these various types of like remix cover albums. Heck, Ease alone had oh my god, oh I know so many. But there might be another Sega 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 Club Mix bonus beats in the future because of this. Lots of I dancing. found so much. Anyway, so I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> no, that's all good. Just lots of dancing. Lots of dancing. So what you got? 
You're not going to dance to this track. <laughs> <laughs> this is a cover of the theme for the Green Forest stage from the game Sonic Adventure 2, mm. done by artist Toxic Eternity. To- Toxic Eternity. never felt so fast and so free as he is when he's listening to that trot trying to get out of the forest within eight minutes before a series of bombs blew. <laughs> that track was the remix metal cover rather not a remix metal cover of the green forest theme from the game sonic adventure 2 done by the awesome toxic eternity this he took a track that was already rocking Spoiler alert, this is my favorite track from Sonic Adventure 2, mm. and he made it rock even harder. That's what I want out of my metal covers. It's, I want that. Yeah, that was, it was like a little bit faster, it was heavier, but it was technically like, it was really technical, you know, like you could, like every note was right on, the harmonies were really cool, mm-hmm. really cool. I was happy to find this. I was, I was kind of 
lost in thinking about what do I want to pick as my cover track? What do I want to pick? So, of course, I just defaulted to Green Forest, mm. but I wasn't expecting to find anything because a lot of times cover artists will go, well, that one already seems like it was pretty well produced, so I'm not going to bother with that. But this guy was like, heck no. I, so can, do, I can do it better. So, so good. So my bonus round track is another Dreamcast, uh, just another game track. <laughs> <laughs> another Dreamcast game, obviously, but it's another game track. So the Dreamcast is where I first learned about and was able to play the game Res, okay. which is a musical shooter on rails. It was You're a space baby. You're a sp- it's everything I wanted in a video game. It was, it was rhythm-based, it was techno, and it was like out of Tron. It was all like wireframes and colors and just bizarre. It was it just so cool. for me, which is kind of lame that it just... It's everything I love. What's up? That I... Do you think that they use Panzer Dragoon as the base model for what became Res? Maybe. I'd be curious to know if some of the developers were like, had some cross there. Um, so uh, the music, uh, some of the music, I don't think the music was really licensed, but the music was from um, other artists and then brought into this game. Um, uh, Keiichi, oh, Ken Ichi did the first track. Um, I forget the uh, some of the others, but the main one, the one that blows everyone away is the last track of the, uh, of the game, stage five. Um, and it is called Fear, and it is by Adam Freeland, and this is the Res Edit. So you can find this music um, in its entirety um, released by Adam Freeland. But this is the the this is the edit that you would hear within the game. Oh, cool! So this is really exciting. And when I first heard this song, like in the game, you just get so pumped. It's so much fun. So this is Fear, the Res Edit from the game Res for the Sega Dreamcast, composed by Adam Freeland. <laughs>
was Fear from the game Res, composed by Adam Freeland. That was the um, edit used within the game. That was a bit longer. Um, me and Pernod were just watching some DDR videos for a second there, but no, that like that track blew me away. That It was just, it wasn't like just regular techno or like um, game music. It didn't sound like it was for the video game, but yet it fits so perfectly. So you're saying like mm. when you play the actual stage proper, this music does a good job of overlaying the so experience. Good. So good. Because up to this point, the music's really fast. And then it slows down and it gets so intense. And then like when the music like shifts and like morphs, like the whole like the whole screen glows and changes and things are popping out like to the beat. It's so cool. No. There's nothing like this. There's nothing like this game out there. And that's why Tetris, the Tetris effect is so cool too. Well, like there's that, I don't think, Rez didn't have Tetsuya Mizuguchi though, right? This was before his time. So, so I may have got the name wrong. We can look it up later to confirm it. But basically, the guy who did the whole Synesthesia bit. Yeah, I think he was behind this game. Yeah, because like... Um, but not his music. Yeah, because like, you know, like that's where Lumines came in. The place, yes, yes. Or Luminous, however you want to pronounce it. So, there's that idea of, you know, games that do a good job of like kind of hold, molding music over gameplay to make them almost like one and the same experience. And it's interesting because I had a thought about that recently. Like, I feel like you imagine magical drop or Puyo Puyo done with synesthesia. Like there's Tetris effect, but it's like, I was telling you before, remember we we were talking about it. We were like, you know, no, it was yeah. Keiichi Sugiyama. He was the first track on there. Really? Yeah. Boogie running beats. Bam. That track is awesome. Oh man, I just want to, okay, I just want to play this game again. So there's, a legit, <laughs> so there's a legitimate connection between them. Yeah, yeah. yeah is, I knew oh. I knew there was a connection, but yeah, that, that was it, yeah. But like it's uh yeah, but like that game, it's just an amazing game in the sense that you get it's all about the lights and sounds and stuff, but I'm always like, when they get past that, it's Tetris. I know. So it's I'm still, like it's still Tetris. So like imagine a game where I'm like I'm jumping at the bit to play it already. I know. And they just made it. Because imagine the Poyos, but they're like freaking like techno, like disco balls. I love and that. And when they smack, when they pop, they don't just pop. 
they burst into light. The 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 marriage of 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 gameplay and music and all of the 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 technical know how and challenges that come in between that is just it's one of my favorite things. I wish more. I wish it was involved in more games, but I, I understand how difficult it would be. To, to have the, those creative teams working in that way. Yeah, like let's take, for mm-hmm. example, last month, our game of the month was Rayman Legends. Rayman Legends is just a, it's a, well, it's a ridiculously solid platformer, but still, it's a platformer. But within that platformer, there are about, say, nine stages, more or less, because some of them are like repeated with a different like 8-bit style, but they're mm-hmm. basically music stages. Mm-hmm. So it's a platformer choreographed to music. So you're supposed to run through the entire thing because you're being chased as an auto-scroller. And you got to jump over stuff and dodge and attack stuff, but every single thing you do is to the beat of the song. And it just feels magical. Mm. And it made me wish there was a game like this that did it for every stage. Don't say Bit Trip Runner because it's not even on the same level <laughs> as this. Not even close to it. Not even close. Mm. But uh, it's it was fantastic and they had me replaying levels over and over again not to do them better but just to hear the song and play the the feel the game being played over and over again it's genius yeah it pulls you back right like yeah. it's, it's addictive like mm-hmm. like i want to go back and play res like right now like like i'm just thinking about it yeah. i remember i bought it again for the 360 uh, when it was re-released and i'm like oh, i'm just playing res again i'm okay i'm okay with this mm-hmm. <laughs> i just want to keep going well more information is available on for the bonus round part of our show at rhythmandpixels.com, our website, we have links to all of the artists, um, band cams and sound clouds, web pages, everywhere where you can go, buy the music and support the artists. And we'll be right back. All right, thanks for joining us on episode 19-9 of Rhythm and Pixels, where Purnell does a little, little dance. It's kind of a dance. It's kind of a robotic dance. Well, it fits the theme of the song. <laughs> this is from the game Get Colonies. Get! Exclamation. Colonies. Or as what, the Dreamcast. Or as what my friend Anthony and I used to call it when we were, when we were younger, Get Joe. Because <laughs> the way it was written on the cover of the game was in Japanese. And the word get was in English, but colonies wasn't the Japanese characters, but for some reason it read like it looked like Joe, like the name Joe. Get Joe! Get Joe! So we said, you want to play some Get Joe? Like, let's go! It's and, cool that we found the, we found the music for this, because like, uh, we, I, we used to play this a lot, too. Yeah! Like, it's so much fun. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a board game, like, strategy, strategy type game. Really simple. Yeah, basically capturing marbles. You hop the mm-hmm. marble, and if you, can cl- if you can hop over it, you claim it. Mm-hmm. And if you, I want to say it was like, if you had, if you hopped into a space that was surrounded by other dots you collect all of the dots of that color yeah, so you were like trying to guard like, your zones yeah there was like it wasn't just like hopping and take the like like a, like a Chinese checkers like situation it was like also had some extra strategy to it yeah it was like it was a really simple game like you could either clone your marble or make it jump and then um but then like all the different stages and the different like boards and maps like made it even more I think it was even four player too right I want to say yes. Yeah, it might have been. Because there were four, four different force, character yeah. designs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. We only ever, only ever got to play it like two players. Mm-hmm. But it, another, it was such a great game. Another amazing innovation on the Dreamcast. It was released with four controller ports. And I want to say, aside from the SD, this was the second system to pull that off. But given the fact that Nintendo was taking flack for the N64, this was a high-powered console mm-hmm. with four controller ports. Yeah. 
It was a beautiful thing to see. Great. And then you had the BMU. Oh my god. Yeah, the weird the weird memory card with like the little uh, screen on it. Raising chow at work while flipping pieces. Or when they re-released Resident Evil on the Dreamcast. So you remember you guys you know in Resident Evil 2 and in Code Veronica and Resident Evil 3, there's no health bar on the screen. You only know how well you're doing by how your character looks. No, no, no. you can go to the menu. But you had or you pause the game, go to the menu, see where you're at, and then go back. Mm-hmm. But with the VMU, you could actually see your health as you played. Oh, that was a on the screen. Cool, it was really neat, yeah. Or on um I think it was Marvel Capcom 2, the character that you chose I had a little icon like a little pixely icon on the VMU as he played. Really? Yeah. Like, honestly, this some v- crazy stuff. I I honestly missed that too. Because mm. the VMU, there was something like, you know, right now people are giving these like, you know, touchscreen games on their cell phones, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like match threes and stuff. Imagine if that was happening with, you know, like similar to VMUs now, like on your PS4. Now, I'm not saying get an app on my cell phone because I still stand by the leap that I don't like the idea of having to worry about it being supported by the cell phone after a couple months or whatever. Right, 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 right. But if they had a device similar to mm-hmm. VMU, you could, like, raise characters on your VMU and then take it back to your PS4, because that's what it was on the drinking. Mm-hmm. You'd have... There was that character in Skies of Arcadia whose weapon was that cube thing or... Yeah, yeah, and you would train it and then level it up and... Yeah, yeah. her weapon got stronger based on how well you treated it in the mm-hmm. VMU. Yeah, it was, was uh, awesome. Fina. Yeah, Fina was her name, but what was her pet's name? It was like a chow. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, but yeah, that, but this, that brings up another thing that I'm glad is behind us. Um, and I personally, I think, is, glad behind, is, is behind us in the world of video games consoles is memory cards. Yeah. Screw those things. I agree. I want. Part of me wants to say no, I no, felt, I felt but... Like it was like another way to, to, to charge for peripherals. Yeah, yeah. and admittedly... There were there are some downsides to it, which is that though admittedly it's hard for me to say because I don't get to carry games around to people's houses as much mm-hmm. as I used to. But back then, I enjoyed the fact that I could take the memory card to a friend's house with my save data on it. That was cool. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like that to me was a good thing. And at one point with the 360, I was able to use a flash drive, which was also really mm-hmm. cool. And it, I mean, and it was cheaper than buying a proprietary memory card, so right. all the better. Actually, we can do that now. I know I can go on my PS4 and like plug in a USB stick and like download like saves and stuff. Yeah, that's the thing. I've yeah. never tried taking a PS4 save mm-hmm. on a USB stick to a friend's house and trying to load it onto their PS4. I've mm-hmm. never tried it, so Here's I don't know if it works or not. One thing you could do is the Dreamcast with that that was packed with a modem. It was also packed with a web browser. Yep, and you can browse the web, and you can go to GameFAQs and download game saves mm-hmm. and then lo- save them to your VMU and then load them from your game. So if they were like, oh, all the characters unlocked in Marvel Capcom, you just go and download it. Or if you had an imported game, you can go there and then download um, like a hacked like save file and load that up. And then so, oh, I can't read this to do all this. Well, that can load the save file and have it all ready for me. You know, it was it was just innovation. Innovation yeah. for now. Like the Dreamcast... People slept on that thing hardcore. Because think about it, when the PS2 came out, it wasn't doing a lot of the stuff that the Dreamcast was doing, in my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a good system. I'm not going to sit here and say that it was a bad console. Quite the contrary. But it felt like just another PlayStation system. Yeah. It didn't feel like how the Dreamcast was. It was like, I got all this cool stuff popping, all these weird games. <laughs> and I had the internet on here because... PlayStation did eventually get internet, but eventually. you had to buy a, you had to buy an adapter yeah, for it. I didn't, I, don't know, I didn't know anybody who had that. Yeah, I didn't have it. I thought yeah. it was a waste of money. Um, but it just didn't do 
what the Dreamcast did. Mm. It was it sold, in my opinion, during its early days, it sold solely on its name. The games came way later. And the DVD player. Oh, oh actually, that was the Cause, biggest cause, thing. Because people D- were buying it solely for D- the DVD player. Yeah, at the time, DVD players were still expensive. Yeah, a couple hundred. My, yeah. my first DVD player was 500 bucks. Yeah, my, yeah, mine was not that much, but it was it was up there. Bought it from an anime con, though, so I could watch Battle Royale and <laughs> Catgirl Nuku Nuku. Nice. From, straight from Japan, baby. <laughs> straight from Otakon to your living room. <laughs> exactly. And the first DVD I ever bought... Haunted Junction. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it was a weird anime about a trio of kids who went to a school haunted by spirits, but the one kid was a shaman priest, so his job was to keep the spirits in check, and of course there was the one pervert kid, and there was the one female, the, the, what was the, there was the girl who was always angry, but she was also in love with one of the ghosts. This is the craziest tangent I think I've ever It was a weird show (laughs) that I adored. Like, I would watch it today. It had one season. It had a double-case DVD. So I have it in my basement still. I still own it, too. Oh, wow. Such a weird show. I have have a box full of... Kosaka Dance. Full of all my anime DVDs somewhere. It's where I learned about what a Kosaka Dance was. Oh, Russian dance. Oh, the, oh okay. I thought they said the Kosaku dance. I'm like, oh, yeah, because the kids they would bring the Kosaku dance. Uh, they start dancing. It's like, stop doing that. But yeah, I liked weird anime back in the day too. Oh, Are we full circle? That's right. We baby start, start and finish. <laughs> um, all right. So if you'd like to get in contact with the show, if you have a question for us, if you'd like to talk about your favorite anime. Um, if you have any uh, track suggestions, topic suggestions, anime suggestions, anime suggestions, if you like for us to watch something um, you think is really cool, or if you're in a band, or if you know a band, um, we'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email: rhythmandpixels at hotmail um, And if you'd like full track listings of all of our episodes, um, access to all of our episodes. I think not all of the episodes are available through Spotify or iTunes. You can get them all on the website rhythmandpixels.com and go check out um facebook and twitter twitter and instagram um it's rhythm and pixels all in word there's a group on facebook called rhythm and pixels chat where we talk about our game of the month and other stuff but the game of the month this is uh Uh, there's a lot of them there's a bunch we we chose a whole bunch we had a tie this month on the votes so it was going to be like a, a ico last guardian shadow of the colossus situation on one end and then Final Fantasy Adventure, Secret of Mana, and Trials of Mana on hmm. the other end. There you go. So you have a bevy of six different games to play, <laughs> Yeah. should you so choose. So that's, that's where we're at with that. Um, there's also a great Facebook group called the VGM Podcast Fans, because, hey, it's not just us. It's also XVGM Radio. There's it's a whole community. Also, uh, the VG Embassy, which is an excellent show. Yes. The Forever Sound Version podcast just had one released. Mm-hmm. A very good uh, podcast indeed. And there are more. And there are more. So check that out. The VGM Podcast Fans on Facebook. And that's run by Alex Messenger. The Messenger. And if you'd like to support the show, you can share it with your friends. You can subscribe. You know, the, the holidays are coming up. So buy a few episodes for your family. Carve it into the moon. <laughs> you can wrap it up, put a little bow on it. You can uh, tie it to a balloon and drop it from the sky. That's right. Our podcast into their ears. Skywrite it. Yeah. Skywrite the URL. <laughs> yeah. If you do that, I will just quit the show. <laughs> Don't do that because you know someone would probably and do I it. I will uh, live my life to serve you. <laughs> um, no, no. We can also go to patreon.com slash rhythm and pixels. And there you can support us. 
um, financially, which is great. And uh, you also get access to a live streamed episode every week, um, which we do at the end of every month. And we also like to give you a shout out at the end of every episode. So we like to thank that Mick, that Nick Walker, Mike Myers, Steve Miller, the Autistic Gamer eighty nine. How you doing, Cameron Worma, Christopher Schenstrom, Bobby Arson of One Up Funk. Check them out on Instagram at One Up Funk. They are amazingly, amazingly talented guys. Uh, Wicked Sephiroth, Okay Impala. Carlito from the Heroes 3 podcast. I think they just did an episode on uh, Mr. Nice Guy, the Jackie Chan movie. Ooh. I love Jackie Chan. I do uh, too. Michael Bridgewater from the Forever Sound Version podcast. Brian Pitt, Chris Murray, um, new Patreon member, Frank Wack. Uh, I, think he, I think he discovered us through uh, YouTube. So, how you doing? Nice. Um, where am I at? Oh, yeah. Uh, Martin Arginius, The Last Recon. Jupiter Jazz, Solus Sanctuary, Damian Beckles, Joe Vassalo, Chris Tienerson, Alex the Messenger, Messenger, patron saint of all VGM podcasts, and David Smith. Awesome, awesome folks. Awesome, wonderful We people. love every one of you. Thank and you. Now, before I forget, I got to remember this because otherwise it'll be like I normally do. Like, oh, crap, next episode, I guess. So we had a contest over the last few weeks. With the intent being for folks to write in and let us know mm-hmm. if they've donated blood or if they're doing good deeds in general for anyone, anywhere, anytime. Basically, are you being a good person to others? The contest. And the prize is a copy of Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, a backer copy, mind you, for the PlayStation 4 donated by listener Dan. Mm-hmm. Awesome guy. Um, so we got a number of submissions in wonderful things to read each and every one of them i gotta file say that and i also love the fact that the folks who could not donate blood for any other any other reasons mm-hmm. work that would justify that or make that be a situation you were able to say hey i can't donate blood because of x but check out this thing i'm doing for this great cause like helping seniors or you know donating to this valuable cause hurricane relief this is a wonderful yeah. thing to read these stories yeah. and know that people are out there trying to help other people yeah we received some really nice emails yes yeah. but only one of you can win the prize and i came up with a really stupid way to come up with oh, it was randomly that, was that why you were asking me letters earlier yes <laughs> i'm a weird guy like that all right so the winners khalid hamad hey you have won a copy of bloodstained ritual of the night for playstation 4 so, I'm assuming you're listening to this. I hope so. When you hear it, write in to us like you did before. Let us know how we can send it over to you, and we'll work out the details. If you find that you actually can't play it or something like that, let us know that too, and I'll work on something with you anyway. Also, amazing. Huge shouts to Khalid, because he um, listened to our show while running a full marathon. Yes. Like, the whole time. And that is awesome. Like, can you imagine us as, yelling in your ear as, <laughs> as we're recording this? I'm imagining, and I'm like, oh, I don't know, but I'm thankful. So, <laughs> like, awesome. I, like, like, I don't know, like, if I could listen to myself <laughs> while running. We gotta like write them like it's just it would freak me out. That could be a hilarious like it. side thing we do mm-hmm. where it's just like, hey, this is the encouragement accident. Could be a topic, the encouragement episode, where it's just a generic encouragement episode oh. where we just play tracks and say. You can do it. No, we we encourage each other, and then we encourage our listeners. Yeah, I like that. It's like the encouragement. That's the, cheer, the cheerleader episode. It's all cheerleading games. There, 
Well, it's all cheerleading games. Right. Well, that, that's a little harder to do. Well, how about this? Cheerleading games. Or, no. It's like one. It's like one cheerleading game. It is based on that movie, Bring It On. Oh, man. Perfect. Okay. So we'll just do a focus on that game. <laughs> You're horrible. No. Anyway, thanks, everyone, for listening to the show this week. Next week is the end of World 19. What will happen? Boss fight? Boss, World, boss I parade? I think it's kind of cool that if I'm doing... See, I don't think Does I am it, doing are, the math work. Crap. Are we going to get a kill screen and the podcast is I'll, over? I, I don't hope, think so. I was hoping we'd be in World 20 for 2020, but oh. I think we'll be just leaving it. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, 10 weeks out. Yeah, probably. Pickles. Or probably. But um, anyway, thanks for listening to Rhythm and Pixels. My name is Rob Nichols. And I'm Fresnel. Have a safe week. We'll see you next time. And remember, oh, God, happiness, positivity, and ourselves Depending on the situation and the circumstances can be a really hard thing to muster up. Trust me, I friggin' know. But the more I think about it, the more I try to put it out and to put it into perspective, the more I try to think. And I admit, yeah, some people just may not necessarily apply to them because it might be a little stronger than just feelings. But happiness in and of itself is a state of mind. You can be, you can have everything you possibly can need in life and not have it. You could have literally nothing and be extremely happy. It's a state of mind. State of mind that is influenced by you, which means just because things don't look their brightest or things aren't exactly how you want them to be, that does not mean you do not deserve to be happy or that you can't be happy. It's a matter of striving to get to that point, feeling that state of mind as you work through what you want to have, what you have and what you're trying to become. So... Work towards happiness. If you need help discussing and feeling good, talk to us, talk to your friends, talk to us and your friends. We got you back. Yeah, I hope we can make your day happier. You're here to bed. Mm-hmm.